Welcome back to another Daily Walk. So uh, I'm actually in my inside-outside studio. Um, at least there's a green plant. Um, so anyway, uh, what I wanted to do today is just kind of talk about the Lucifer Principle again. Um, we have another chapter here, and uh, I just wanted to really respond to something in more depth in the Christian worldview on this particular chapter. So uh, this is under the uh, the section uh, which is called Bloodstains in Paradise, uh, and I did the introduction chapter to this uh, on my last daily walk. Uh, this daily walk, we're going to look at the greed of genes because one of the things that I really want to challenge is the uh, the author's desire to kind of out you know kick God out of the picture, and I'm going to identify some really fascinating things in here. Now, of course, the entirety section here and the greed of genes, the culminating hypothesis of this individual section is that we kill uncontrollably because of our genes. It's this cruelest genetic determinism at its finest. But what he, uh, what the author is quoting and pulling a lot of interesting information from is he is pulling a lot of information from uh, Richard Dawkins. So he says, in the beginning, says Oxford University zoologist Richard Dawkins in The Selfish Gene, the face of the earth was washed by primitive seas. On the surface of those waters, lightning and sunlight knit together molecules of ammonia, water, carbon dioxide, and methane to form the first organic substances. These substances sloshed inertly beneath the waves, slowly accumulating murky sludge. One day, a miracle happened. Some accident twisted a few of the organic clumps, clumps of atoms together into a new shape, giving them a property the universe had never seen. The molecular pretzel could make copies of itself. It mindlessly attracted scraps of muck to its surface and quite accidentally snapped the molecules it was embracing together like popum beads when, it, when the pretzel lit the finished product go again it unwittingly made a mirror image of itself people say there's really no basis for a god well you're telling me that i mean even here even in this author who is a, a devout atheist and i believe we're referencing howard bloom the author of this book not necessarily richard dawkins i'm not sure richard dawkins used this particular word but he sent this one short sentence one day a miracle occurred even an atheist cannot resort to something like this happening without a miracle. So is it more possible a miracle is going to happen in the presence or in the absence of an ultimate creator, a God? Now, I'm a person that has studied a lot of sciences, both physical sciences and uh, biological sciences, uh, both macro sciences and molecular sciences. And I'm going to say this entire description of this early founding is absolute balderdash. We basically have, now, now, pretty much everything is going to be uh, dictated and directed by two different forces, either, either um, hydrophobic forces or hydrophilic fo forces in this particular circumstance, or what you might call van der Waals forces and electrostatic forces. That's kind of what they're talking about here. So what the difference would be is if you get van der Waals forces and you get these clumps of molecules coming together and just kind of zipping themselves together simultaneously, then what we can start to see happening is you develop this clump of things that is indiscriminately together and it cannot separate themselves out. The entire concept of this miraculous molecular pretzel that reproduces itself 
is absolute hogwash because the entire replication of a gene, of DNA, of a protein, anything they're talking about requires hundreds of submolecules helping it along. We don't have any mechanism because what happens when you were to get all this clump together, you need to get over the clump together and then you need to have several small portions of it at a time separating slowly, not only the van der Waals forces keeping it together, but also these stronger, in this case, hydrogen bonding forces that also keep it together. You can't completely denature it or it will never come back together. You have to take apart small pieces slowly and replicate it very slowly. That's how DNA replicates itself, with the help of hundreds of other replicating proteins. Everything has to be in place. We can't have just by some crazy miracle in the absence of any God, some crazy molecular pretzel which just happens to quite accidentally create its, another copy of itself perfectly every time. And then somehow this miraculously comes together and gets life. Brilliant minds come together to say this all just miraculously happened one day. Is it more miraculous to believe that occurred with or without a god. And so this entire concept of greed of genes where it started with nothing and over this crazy subsurface, all of a sudden molecular complex organisms just happened to accidentally come together in such a way that they could reproduce. We're talking about very, very strange occurrences. And the mere fact that this group would deny a God that created the world, but come to this as his reason for why things happened, it is just baffling. This is faith. It's not as much faith to believe in a powerful God creating the universe as much as this is faith. And that's kind of one of those things is that as we start getting into the science, understand None of these that they're saying as fact has any experimental background. We've attempted things like this. And sure, we can put together some raw ingredients, simulate something that seemed like a lot of lightning, and we'll get simple molecules out of it. But you know what happens when you get carbon dioxide showing up? It gets as far away from each other as possible because it is extremely... Uh, and this is a lot of gases themselves. You know, PV equals NRT. Uh, you know, the, the, the ideal gas law equation. It basically says that if you happen to have only two molecules of carbon dioxide, they get as far away from each other in the universe as they can. They're always as far away from each other. If they come close, they just collide and bounce off each other. But he wants to say ammonia and water and carbon dioxide and methane all came together. Methane of which is in no way familiar to any of those other things. Methane and ammonia, you can't get these mixing together very easily. <laughs> ammonia is very... Uh, it, it is it is very um, uh, very hydrostatic. It has it is very charged. It's a polar compound. Methane is about as nonpolar as you can get every molecule. It just shows up and floats away. It will never come back in contact with itself again. So the fact that you'd have just these very basics is just so fascinating that scientists would take this and say all of these things here in this whole giant empty universe spontaneously comes together. That's a whole lot more faith than believing in a powerful God that created it all. 
Now, of course, they go on. The replica had the same property as its pretzel-like parent. Molecules of sludge were attracted to its surface. Each segment of the surface would pull toward a very specific atomic shape, and the replica's exterior acted like paint-by-numbers canvas, drawing precisely the correct component to the exact right spot. Once all the new molecules were lined up in order, they'd snap together. The result was yet another spanking new copy, ready to unpeel from its parent and drift away. The fresh-born copy, in its turn, would attract other wandering molecules to its face, where they would line up, pop together, then uncoupled to be carried off by the currents of the sludge-filled early seas. The molecules with the particular ability to make copies of themselves are called replicators. These replicators, like innovations that have preceded them, would move to the universe one more step up the ladder of complexity. I don't expect you to believe me when I say that this is actually hogwash, but I want you to spend some time, get on the internet and do some searches as to what it takes for a DNA molecule to replicate itself, or see what it takes for DNA to turn into RNA. See what it takes for RNA to turn into a protein. And ask yourself, is that something that's going to happen in this very fabricated world? Or is that something that is not very likely to happen? But let me present to you another viewpoint. What if the other viewpoint is that there is an ultimate God who created it all and set into motion the things that we have here that we're describing? That makes a whole lot more sense and takes a whole lot less faith than believing that all this spontaneously happened. That's kind of what I want to get at. Now, of course, the entirety of this chapter is that all of this eventually showed up to produce these giant genes that cause us to kill one another. But I think that that's another story for another time. I just kind of wanted to address that, that what they're describing and what the scientific view of the creation of, of all of this life is not in, really not consistent with anything in science, nothing in, in physics, nothing in chemistry, nothing in biochemistry would explain any of that. It's a matter of faith. So you have two faith decisions before you. Are you going to believe that it randomly happens someday or that there is a God in charge of the universe? That's kind of my final thought. So thanks for coming along on this daily walk. Thank you for tuning in. Our Walk in Christ podcast is a listener-supported presentation. For more information about how you can help, check out ourwalkinchrist.com forward slash support or our Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash Tom M. That's T-O-M-M. Digital and paperback books are available on several online bookstores or at our website. Once again, the website is ourwalkinchrist.com.